You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. All right, everyone. Welcome to episode 27 of the Tactical Kitchen Show. Yeah, and today we're here with a guest. We haven't had a guest in a while. We so haven't. this is going to be really fun. We're here with Kristen Rowell. Am I pronouncing your last name right, Kristen? You are. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Well, um, first of all, let's let our listeners kind of know a little bit about you. We First of all, we met you at Low Carb USA, this last yeah. conference. And the first thing I thought when I heard you were what, what you did I just, the, the word, words, mythical unicorn of fitness came <laughs> into my mind. And with that being said, let's start giving our listeners a little background on who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, thank you so much. I think I told you, Melody, that's probably the nicest compliment. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> I am a, by trade, a lawyer. So I practice law for a living and as a way to reduce and relieve stress, back when I was in law school, which was in 2000, I decided to sign up and run my first marathon. So I was going through my first semester of law school and I ran my first marathon because I thought otherwise I may spend all of my time at school. So, so most people would consider that a stressor. Like I sign up for a marathon, that's a stressor, not a de-stressor. <laughs> right, right. And I think several people have told me that. In fact, before I ran that marathon, I thought people who ran marathons were insane. Like who wants to run that distance? That's crazy. But I sort of did it on a dare to check it off a bucket list thing. And I thought I'd do one and be done with it. Now, next Sunday, I'm about to run my 23rd marathon. Wow. So between the time I did my first and next week, I've run 22 marathons. And I'll share with you sort of my my big event that happened in my life that took the marathoning and transitioned me into keto. Mm-hmm. But I ran those 23 marathons and somewhere in the middle of them, I actually fell and broke my right leg in 10 places. Wow. So I've recovered from that and run more marathons, which is awesome. I've always at the same time, even though I've been a runner, I've always been really into strength training. So while I was in law school and I was training for the marathons, I was also lifting weights at the gym several mm-hmm. times a week. And I would do that also for stress relief, but the lifting weights really happened because I had done that sort of growing up and I just enjoyed it. I watched my dad do it before work. He's a dentist and I admired and respected that behavior, so to speak. Uh And so I noticed that genetically when I would lift weights, I would notice that I'd have really good results and humans by our nature like to do things that we're good at. So I found myself gravitating towards that as well. But as I ran more you know, I kept hearing from people, well, if you run a lot, you can't strength train. And if you strength train a lot, you can't be a runner. And I found that the two actually marry themselves very well. So that's so so interesting because, um, you know, this week, if if you've been strength training for a while, you've probably heard of Charles Poliquin, right? Yes. Okay. And, you know, he passed away. It was very sudden and sad, but he always said this, this thing, you have one ass, you can't ride two horses. And this is like <laughs> one of the best trainers in the world. And so yeah. even with someone like him, they would say, you know, you need to pick, do you want to do endurance or do you want to be, you know, do you want to be a weightlifter? So even someone like that would say, ah, oh, this can't really be done. That's why I think this is so amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, it's so interesting because I just, I fundamentally disagree with that premise and and it's because I'm, I'm living proof that you can do both. So I, in May of 2018, it's now 2018, just this year, I got my pro card in bodybuilding. So I do the marathons and then I also competed as a bodybuilder. I had been asked for years whether I compete just because I'm fairly muscular Mm -hmm. and I, because I didn't know anything about that world. I would answer people's questions by saying, well, no, no, that's weird. And no, I don't, I'm a runner. <laughs> but I, as I then turned 40, I thought, well, I kind of want to 
look into this bodybuilding thing. And so I did my first bodybuilding competition in May of 2017, did very well, and then ended up qualifying and receiving my pro card in what I'm really proud of because it's a natural federation in the NIMBF. So I'm an IPE pro bodybuilder in figure. And so for people that don't know the bodybuilding world, for women, I describe the levels basically in three ways. The, the, I'll call it the entry level is the bikini competition. And those women aren't as muscular. That's considered sort of an athletic look. Mm-hmm. And then the second level, which I'm in is figure. And the figure division is what you think of. You're looking for that figure hourglass shape. So I'm being judged on how wide and big my shoulders are, how little my waist is. And um, then the top level is physique, which is a much more masculine look, which I'm personally not interested in. So I think the figure matches well with me for running. But, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I tried really early on as I was getting higher and higher with my mileage is, you know, you hear about all these runners saying, oh, my knees, I used to be a runner, but my knees just gave out. Or I used to be a runner, but it just got to be too much on my body. What I found is the strength training is really what combats that. So mm-hmm. strength training helps you recover while also building muscles. So when I run my 20 miles on a Sunday leading up to a marathon, I am that afternoon or the next morning at the gym lifting heavy, heavy, heavy weights because wow. it actually helps my muscles recover. So now, when you talk about lifting weights, uh, are you, how do you focus your weightlifting? Uh, like when you go into the gym, uh, are you doing a lot of different exercises? Are you, do you, you do like, uh, you know, focus on uh, the compound exercises or Olympic lifts or you're just in there working the body parts that you feel need attention? Yeah, great question. So one of the things that people are really surprised by also, but I have to share it because I feel like I hold this big secret. I only lift (laughs) weights twice a week for 30 minutes. Okay, wow. And I'm able to be a professional bodybuilder with that schedule. So here's why. I am in all areas of my life, and it's especially because I'm a lawyer and I build by the six-minute increment, and so my time is so valuable to me. Mm -hmm. I am all about quality over quantity in everything that I do. So... I am for 30 minutes getting into the gym, taking my body through what I'll say is probably 10 to 12 exercises. And I'll give you an example. In 30 minutes, I don't do two sets of everything of anything. And everything is to total momentary muscle failure. So I don't know if you guys have had an opportunity to meet with ever talk with Jason Whitrock. He's one of my I'll call it muses in the keto space. Yeah. yeah. I, he and I have talked about it and he does the same thing I do, which is that in your exercise, and he's really muscular as well, in each exercise, you're going to absolute and total failure so that you're actually breaking the muscle down so that it can get, grow bigger. Okay. And so that's what I do. So in the exercise, to answer your question, um, I may do a leg press followed immediately by a leg extension. Then I may go do some hip adduction or abduction for the inside or outside of my legs. Then I may do a tibia, and then I may do a walking lunge around the gym. So that's all I do for legs. Then I'll do one ab exercise or back exercise. And then upper body, maybe shoulder press, tricep dips, chest press, lat pull down, and maybe some Mm chin-ups. And then when I come back the second time in the week, I'll do about that many exercises, but they'll be totally different. Okay, got it. Each week I'm rotating. Uh and, And I'll do that first. So I work out with trainers and I work out of machines. Think about the old school Nautilus machines. These are Mm -hmm. MedX machines. And so the card that they're monitoring, you know, how many repetitions I'm getting, the second I'm able to get to eight or 12 or whatever the goal is for that exercise, when I come back the next workout, they've added two pounds or five pounds or something so that you can't ever plateau. Right. Right. so where I go, if I, when I go to a big fitness center, and this is a smaller boutique gym, I'm a member of a few different gyms. I'm also a member of a big fitness center. And when I go in there and I look at people in the weight room, I just see a lot of wasted time. There's a lot of people wasting time as they're standing there doing an exercise. I see them do two or three sets of it. They never get to the point where they're, they almost are going to drop the weight, which is where I'm always at. Yeah. I mean, when I get off that machine, I'm like, I don't want to see that again for another week. I'm so, <laughs> I, I really tire myself out. And so that's just a really efficient way to get stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it works and it works. So I have the marathon next Sunday. I will tell you every time before a marathon, I do not strength train for two weeks before. Normally I'm okay. twice a week, but it's because I'm doing my tapering. I'm trying to recover. I'm trying to run less. 
And so I don't strength train. And then the day after the marathon, I'll go back and strength train again. Right. Cause you don't want to be breaking muscle down up until the point, you know, where you're going to have to run a marathon. You don't exactly. want to, you don't want to have, have your body think about rebuilding when really you want to think about performing. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. some of the, some of the other things that kind of go hand in hand with this, and you guys know, just because of the ketogenic diet and low carb, mm-hmm. everything that I do is, is intentionally anti-inflammatory because I am taxing my body and creating a lot of inflammation by breaking my muscles down this bad. So by eating low carbohydrate, by having all of these different modalities as an athlete, like I do the infrared sauna, I do the cryogenic chamber. I do Mm -hmm. all sorts of things like that. I make sure I have a lot of L-glutamine in my diet. So I do things to make sure that I'm as anti-inflammatory as possible. Right. And that's a great point. Your focus, a lot of your focus is on reducing inflammation in your body. Yes. And and that's key for a lot of people. Uh, How do you, now your nutrition, do you see nutrition, like is your, is your food different on, on lifting days opposed to just running days? Do you treat your food differently or is it always the same? It's pretty much always the same. Although I will say on my lifting days, I do increase my protein. So I intermittent fast almost every day. And I just sort of listen to my body. So I work out in the morning. Typically on a work day, I'm working out between somewhere between 5.30 and 6.30, 5 to 6.30, depending mm-hmm. on the day. And then I don't eat until about 12.30 in the afternoon. So I'll have my coffee in the morning that mm-hmm. has MCT oil, a tablespoon of MCT oil, a half a tablespoon of coconut oil. And then I put some uh, mushroom extracts, powders in there. And then I have my exogenous ketones, but that's all I have until noon. If I lift weights at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, within 15 minutes, I do have a protein shake that I've made, which is about 100 calories with just protein and water, a teaspoon of L-glutamine, some branched chain amino acids, and some collagen peptides. So I do that right after because there's a lot of research to show that if you can start repairing the cells immediately after that workout and give your body that protein that you're going to have better results in the gym. And I didn't work that hard to not maximize the results that I, that I get. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, you know, you mentioned earlier about breaking your leg. Yes. Places. And then most people would have said, okay, that's it for me. I'm done. (laughs) I'm not going to run anymore or lift weights. You know, maybe I'll lift weights, but definitely not the running part. Yeah. So can you maybe tell us what, what happened? How'd you break your leg? <laughs> yeah. So this was crazy. So I had by, and I wish I remember the number. I probably was at like 19 marathons by the time, 18 marathons. And I was at the time what I considered to be a healthy eater. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I generally understood what my calories were. I had, like I said, lifted weights for years and I was a runner, but I, of course, would do the pasta thing the night before the marathon. I, di- I just didn't know any better. And that was always what we talked about in the marathon world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I remember, and I remember thinking, and I've shared this before, that by the Fargo marathon in May of 2012, yes, they do have a marathon in Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Agreed. But it's a very flat marathon. It's a really flat race. In fact, some people think it's too flat. There literally are no hills. So I did it to test my pace. And I did well, but I was at a point where I was still a carb fueled runner. I had to have a goo every five miles of that race. Right. Yeah. Imagine how how ripped up your stomach feels when you're done. Yeah. I remember thinking at the time, this can't be right. This, I can't need to have a goo every five miles. That's 40 minutes, 45 minutes. That's crazy. So I ran a 324 at that race. I felt pretty good, but my stomach felt sick after yeah. And fast forward then to December of 2013, I'm on a work trip in Williston, North Dakota. This is the benefit of living in Minnesota, guys. I get to travel to sexy places like North Dakota. <laughs> North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> I did meet you guys in San Diego, so I promise I go elsewhere. But I was in Williston, North Dakota. It was 25 below zero. And one of my partners and I were coming back from a work trip. I've practiced a fair amount of real estate litigation. So we had been out on a site out there. There was a lot of activity at the time because of the oil boom. And I was walking back into the airport, realized I forgot my phone in my client's car, ran back to the car. There was a patch of ice and I fell and snapped my lower leg. Oh my my orthopedic surgeon said, if someone paid you a million dollars, you couldn't recreate that injury. It was so random. 
But I now believe with the benefit of hindsight that that happened for a reason and mm-hmm. that it happened to get me on this path of my ketogenic journey, which has dramatically changed my life. And now I can share it. So there I am laying outside of the airport. It's 20 below. And my partner tried to pick me up and bring me into the airport. And I was screaming at him because I was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. So the ambulances came to get me. And what they told me was that I broke my tibia. So your tibia is the main large bone that you can see in your mm-hmm. shin. Yeah. I broke that in 10 places. I also broke my fibula. Your fibula, apparently you don't really need anymore. It's just sort of still there. So the tibia was the big thing. They told me when I had my surgery a week later that I wouldn't walk on that leg for three months. A week after surgery, I went back into the gym and I started, <laughs> lift, and I started lifting weights. I walked in in crutches. I said, guys, you're gonna, we're going to do this. We're going to see how I can do it. I lifted for my left leg. I lifted for my abs and back. I lifted for my upper body. And I thought, you know, those things aren't broken. My right, right leg is broken. My other limbs aren't broken. And I knew because I had researched this, that you have muscle memory between your limbs. So if you break your right arm and you continue to lift le- weights for your left arm, your right arm atrophies less than it otherwise would. So yeah. don't get me wrong. My right leg still atrophied and I called it my chicken calf and it was very funny. But, <laughs> but because I continued to lift and here's the other thing. I did a lot of that because I've been an exerciser for the mo- majority of my life. I was really worried about my serotonin levels my dopamine levels. I thought, what happens if I all of a sudden go from being that active to not doing anything? What, what if I become depressed? Right. And so, so yeah. being able to really focus on getting in the gym, even though I couldn't run, was really, really helpful to me to get through that leg break. And so then that happened in December 2013. The new science is these orthopedic surgeons really want to take all the metal out as quickly as they can. So they said, we're going to make you keep the metal in your leg for one year. I had it all taken out in October of 2014. And then I ran my fastest marathon in October of 2015 Oh my at, God. At, 30, at 39 years old. I said, this is going to be my comeback race and it's going to be a comeback race and I'm going to make this the best yet. And it was. And so, it was. so in that process, where did you start finding like ketogenic, like where did that start to happen and how did, how did that, you know, where did you get the information and, and why did you go down that path? Yeah. So a couple, two different ways. One was after this injury happened, I thought, gosh, this is really surprising to me that someone who's been a runner and a weightlifter for this many years could have this kind of injury happen. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I've got some underlying osteoporosis or I didn't know, but I thought it was so freaky of me to have that accent. So I started doing a lot of research about supplementation and diet just on my own. And then that was a perfect marriage with the chiropractor I started to see at the time was an ultra runner. So here I am as he's working on trying to fix my imbalances as I'm, you know, in crutches and not putting weight on my right leg for that long. And as he was working on me, I'd say, wait a second. So you run like 50 or hundred miles and you're not eating carbs. Tell me about that. And I like, I started to learn a lot from him. And I don't know if you guys knew that if you talk with Zach bitter, but I've talked with Zach and Nicole. I didn't realize until I met this chiropractor in 2013, 2014, that the ultra running world, they've been keto for years. Right. That's, that's been that. It's never really caught on in the marathon world. So I'm determined to make it catch on in the marathon world too. Yeah. So when I ran my fastest marathon in October of 2015, the only thing I had that morning was one packet of coconut butter. And I didn't have any goose during the race. And I felt amazing. Wow. That's, a, that's huge because I, I, you know, I did triathlons for years and I was just like you said before, I plan my resupplies for every, about every 45 minutes. And if I did not get that glucose resupply, man, you talk about performance going downhill fast. It was horrible. So um, living on that glucose train and being able to switch and run an entire marathon without taking anything in, people will think you're absolutely insane. But that goes back to what we always say. You can't tell people that they can't do what they're already doing. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, you know, just like with what you've done, people will say, well, you can't do that. Well, you can't tell someone like Kristen Rao, you can't do marathons and weightlift when she's doing it. I mean, exactly. Well, you can't do that. Another great point is you, you took an obstacle and people will say this, the obstacle is the way you took a yeah. challenge, which was yeah. the setback of breaking your leg. And you turned that into motivation where most people would, would be like, well, you know, I was a great runner, but I broke my leg and then I stopped running. You turned it around and said, all right, this is going to be a challenge for me. Now yes. I'm going to overcome it. And I'm going to show people how you recover from this type of injury, which is, that's inspiration. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Right. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. You guys, one of the things that I really try to encourage people about around that topic is I, I think one of the things I get really disappointed about is that I see so many people give up on themselves mm-hmm. and it's so much easier to do that because there's always an excuse and we're all busy and we all have all these demands pulling at us all of the time. For me, I have described the feeling of reward and accomplishment and satisfaction that I personally get from setting a goal, working backwards to figure out all the things I need to do to get to that goal, then doing those things and reaching the goal is the best thing that you can do in life. I feel like that's such a, that process of setting the goal, working towards it and achieving it. If people could just do that with one thing and see how that feels and then set another one, it's, it's, it's like you motivate yourself by, by doing. And I do a lot of work reading about energy and how energy is catchy and positive energy moves you forward. There's no doubt for me that when I set my goal of I'm going to cover recover from this leg break as as positively as I can and really worked at it that just showing myself that I could get into the gym and overcome the fact that yes I'm walking around with crutches but so what that begot more positive energy and it just allowed me to help achieve my goal if that makes sense oh, oh yeah yeah and, we, and that's what you know when we when we health coach people and we start uh start them down the road you know like you went down keto we, we tell them to change one thing. Just start with one thing. Don't, don't overdo it. Uh, just do that and achieve that small goal and see how you feel. And, and of course, oftentimes they feel better. Uh, and then just keep making more goals, just like you said. Now, for you, when you switched over and started going to ketogenic, how did you, how did you start making the change? What was the first thing you did as far as, you know, I'm going to eat fat and protein now? Yeah, so I'd say the first thing that I did, because I, was, I wasn't one of those people that, okay, all of a sudden I'm keto the next day. It was a very gradual process for me. Mm-hmm. I personally had a difficult time letting go of the healthy grains <laughs> and all that nonsense yeah, that I've been fed for years. I mean, it just took me a while to let go of it. And once I did, I thought, oh my gosh, this makes so much more sense. So the first thing I started to do was to pay attention to the fats that I was eating and just increase them. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that as I did that, I was more satiated. I could go longer without eating. I used to describe myself as one of the hangriest girls on the planet because <laughs> it's like when you're fueled by glucose, you, you literally do have those blood sugar dips mm-hmm. that are so powerful that I think everyone get out of my way. I just need to eat something more. And I used to think, okay, it's because you work out so much, Chris, or you, you know, I'm lifting, I'm running. It really was just a blood sugar dysregulation. Right. right. So, yeah. so I had at the same time when I'd started law school and did, done my first marathon, I also started, and this is another thing that had been nagging at me all of these years, twice a year, I would go through, I don't know if you've ever read anything about Anne Louise Gittleman, but I would take her, I did this fat flush detox diet. It was 11 days. And on the eighth day you would fast. And I had started that with a friend and she and I committed to doing that fall and spring, fall and spring. And that was always a reset for me where I would get the sugar and the crap out of my diet. And I remember thinking, I'm so surprised how well I feel on that fasting day. It was just... It, yeah. I, my brain felt on overdrive. I didn't have any dips or spikes in energy. I said I had the same energy at 3 p.m. that I did at 8 a.m. that I did at 10 p.m. So I knew there was something to that. I knew there was a way I could eventually get my blood sugar in check. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept experimenting with adding more fats, reducing carbs. I then started tracking. And then once you let me loose on a tracking device, I'm sort of a data nerd. And so I had a blast <laughs> And then that just became a fun project for me on the side. I just love tracking and figuring out my food. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about running that first marathon after your injury on just the coconut oil. Yes. How did you feel at the end of that race versus how you would feel on the other races being glucose fueled? Okay. So that's a great question. The difference was, first of all, I would have such stomach cramping and I just described it as like GI distress when I was doing all those goos that I would get to the end of the race and I wouldn't feel really good for several hours, at least GI wise, that was always a problem. The other thing is it always took me longer to recover. So after this race, it was interesting. I felt light and recovered. I don't know how to describe it other than I just felt, um, you know, of course some of your muscles are sore because you're getting through a race that was a really challenging workout, but I didn't have the other, issues like 
taking a long time to recover, GI distress, those kinds of things. So that was probably the biggest benefit for me is just feeling like I could recover quickly. And I, I enjoyed the race in a way that I hadn't in other marathons. So that was exciting too. Oh yeah. You know, cause a lot of people will talk about marathon running and that like for days after their legs are swollen, they have a difficult time recovering. It's maybe two weeks before they can run again. And, and you're saying you go to the gym that yep. day yep. and that's, that's not something that most people can do when they're glucose fueled or when they're doing the goos and they're doing all those things. So, cause all of that sugar is so inflammatory. It makes it very difficult to recover. Exactly. So that's been the biggest difference is that the recovery is so, so much better, so much better. And people don't realize, I don't think when they're consuming those goos or they're doing the carbo loading the night before that they Mm -hmm. actually are creating so much inflammation in their body because the run itself creates inflammation. And of course we can have good inflammation and bad inflammation, good inflammation from, you know, lifting weights and creating muscle, bigger muscles is good inflammation, but it's still inflammation. So you want to reduce as much of that as possible. Yeah. Now, uh, I know earlier you talked about, uh, you know, exogenous ketones. When did yes. you add those in and, and how do they, cause I use exogenous ketones. I think they're amazing for the body and again, help reduce inflammation and it feels like it makes it easier for me to do, uh, you know, back to back workouts and not have any setbacks. How does, how does that make you, uh, you feel and why do you use them on a normal basis? Yeah. So, um, I use them literally every day. There are probably a few days where I don't, but I typically have it in the morning with my coffee. So I'm drinking my exogenous ketones and my coffee at the Mm -hmm. same time. And I introduced those. It must have been, I think, sometime in 2015. I was at the gym in the locker room and a woman who I've known for years asked me whether I had tried them. And I said, no, you know, I've read a little bit about them. I hadn't. And she was selling them. So that's why she had approached me about it. And she said, well, if you want to try them. And I thought, I always tell people... If you don't know whether there's something you're interested in, try them. See if you notice a difference in how you feel. And if you do, maybe stick with it for a while and see what you notice. So I tried them. Those are, um, I tried the Prove It exogenous ketones mm-hmm. at the time. And I, A, liked the taste. B, felt like I just had a little bit more mental clarity even than I did without them. Yeah. And also I felt that I had a lot of energy. So athletic performance-wise, I was noticing a correlation between recovery, speed, those kinds of things. And so I thought, well, I'm going to stick with this for a while. And then I'd go through periods and not take them just to see if I would notice a difference. Mm-hmm. And I just find benefit from them athletically and mental performance. So I continue to use them. I love them. Yeah. You know, a lot of, I mean, we use them too. And a lot of people in the keto space, there's two camps there, yep. you know, some people are like really down on them and some people are, you know, pro exogenous ketone. And I'm with you. I think you have to try it for yourself. If it works for you, then no one can tell you that it doesn't, you know? I mean, so we use them, yes. even though people are like, oh, you don't need them. You don't need exogenous ketones. And I'm like, yeah, but they work for us. Right. You know? Well, I, I think that, that goes back to what, what are you doing? Uh, you know, if you're lifting weights and training for a marathon, you're going to need extra protein for uh, muscle protein synthesis. You're going to, you can use extra ketones for energy in your right. body. So if someone's not training very much and they're, you know, not lifting weights or running, then maybe they don't need it. No, right. Exactly. So for me, I do consider it to be a a really important component because of all my athletic training. So -hmm. if someone isn't an exerciser, they may not feel like they need it. One of the things I do test my ketones with my blood. I have Mm -hmm. the precision ultrameter and I've done a fair amount of research on this and maybe you guys are way ahead of me on this, but I thought this was interesting I tend to have readings somewhere between 0.6 and like 1.7, depending. And of course, if I drink one of these and then test my blood, I'm going to have more Mm -hmm. because it shows the ketones up in my blood. But because ketones are a fuel source and I'm constantly exercising and using fuel, whether it's my body fat or ketones, Mm -hmm. I may have a lower reading right? Because my body is actually using the ketones as opposed to a bunch of it just swimming throughout my system, not being used. So I always tell people if they're just getting into this keto thing and they're getting stressed out about whether they're doing the urine testing or the breath or the blood or whatever, keep in mind, if you are exercising and if you are using, then your body for sure is using ketones. 
and not to get too wrapped up around the numbers. I don't know if you find that same thing for you. Absolutely. We, yep. we absolutely do. Um, we, you know, being keto adapted is different than just being into being in ketosis, like you said, versus having them swim through your bloodstream and being able to actually utilize them. Mm-hmm. It, those are two different, two different things. Yes. And um, once you start using them as an energy source and your body becomes accustomed to that, you might have lower readings and that does freak people out. It's the same thing as the scale, you yeah. know, we put on muscle, your weight might go up. And that is a total mind trip for people versus, you know, understanding your body's shrinking, but your weight is going up. And it's the same thing in the keto space yes. with those ketone readings. My ketones are going down. Yeah, but you just ran five miles or you just did a heavy workout. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah exactly. I want, I want to address that issue that you just mentioned, Melody, about um, the weight because uh-huh. I don't, I, I do step on scales once in a while, but scales, I, I just, I don't have one. So it's just not a priority to me, but I very regularly do a bod pod body composition analysis. Mm-hmm. So that's what I find is the most useful. So in the, in the scheme of body fat testing, I guess DEXA scan is the number one and mm-hmm. then bod pod and the water are considered kind of close seconds. So I do it just to figure out where my musculature is at versus my body weight. And it's been really interesting when I look back at my results, because I've tested for years when I was a carb fueled athlete versus when I've been ketogenic. Now I can certainly lose weight, gain muscle, eating carbs. I just don't feel as good. So I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that in years, but the ketogenic diet has allowed me to continue to gain muscle and continue to lose body fat in ways that I didn't think were possible before I did it. So I know there's a lot of controversy about that too. Can you build muscle on keto? And there's a number of us in the keto space that say, yes, you can. And I am living proof that yes, you can. You really can. Now I will say I do more protein than most people on a traditional strict keto. So I set my macros at 70% fat, 25% protein and 5% carbs. That's Mm -hmm. a good ratio for me. But 25% of your calories from protein might be too much for someone who doesn't spend as much time in the gym as I do. Well, you just, if, if, if anybody was a car burner and they heard those macros, you just blew their mind. They will always tell you, if you don't eat carbs, you can't build muscle. And they'll, and they'll go through these, the, these processes that happen in the body. And my, my, my answer to that always is, you're assuming that your body will not do that without carbs. And that's just not yes. true. Your body right. will do all those processes just fine without carbohydrates by converting non-essential amino acids into glucose and using opening up all those pathways. So yes. again, that's a great point. You you say is I've you've tracked your DEXA scans back to where you were a carb burner, yep. and if you're doing more or just as much muscle now, then you're showing that you do not need carbohydrates to build muscle and to perform. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I just feel better. So the fact that I can be at the gym super early, have my protein shake right after I work out and then have boundless energy all day at work to do my demanding job that requires that I have my brain firing on all 12 cylinders and everything else. I mean, it's such an amazing lifestyle diet. I tell people all the time, if you're looking for a way to increase your energy, not have the slumps during the middle of the day, really feel like you can hyper-focus on things without yawning all day at the office, try mm-hmm. eating keto for 30 days and report back to me. It's amazing. Well, you know, and you, we talked about the hangries earlier. Yeah. When, yes. you know, getting hangry is one of the things you have to eat, but you lose focus. Like I would be at work and, and I would look up and I'd be like, man, it'd be like 11 o'clock. And I'd probably just ate at nine o'clock. And all of a sudden I'm like, don't talk to me. I have to leave and I need to yes. go eat food. I don't give me any problems to solve. I don't want to answer an email. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that is what yeah. hangry is. And and we joke about it now. It's a, a societal thing where everybody jokes about being hangry. But that, in my opinion, if you get hangry, you have a blood sugar issue that needs to be addressed. Totally. I totally agree with you. I oh, don't yeah. get angry anymore. I literally don't get angry anymore. I now notice what it feels like to be hungry mm-hmm. if I fasted for 16 hours and I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's time to eat. But it's never hangry because it's not a blood sugar dysregulation like it used to be. Yeah. And, and that's what we talk about as well as mm-hmm. noticing hunger and acknowledging it, but not having to satisfy it right away or I'm going to have a crisis. Yes. And something we noticed just recently is uh, that being we, we've gone to more of a carnivore 
diet, which totally messes people up, you know, that what, you're not even eating plants. Right. And um, what we've really noticed is about the time we start getting hungry rather than getting tired or the yawning, all those things or brain fog, we actually get a little more mentally clear. Yes. And we get more energetic, you know, there's a little more energy there. And that just, I always say with science, sometimes we need to peel back a little bit and just get back to common sense. Common sense would say that if I became hangry or hangry and tired when I got hungry, I wouldn't feel like going and hunting and getting food. I'd want to just lay in the cave and starve to death, you know, and be, be hangry. But when I get energetic, when I get hungry, that kind of looks back to ancient societies that would say, okay, now it's time to go hunt and go find food. I've got energy. You know, That's I'm a fantastic here. point. I've actually never talked with anyone about this, but I have the exact same experience in my body. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've noticed it several times over the last few months mm-hmm. that at about that 14 to 16 hour window of my fast, when I'm thinking it's probably around time to eat, I thought, wow, I feel extra clear in my mind yeah. and yeah. extra focused. And if I went outside right now, instead of being focused at my desk with the desk work that I'm doing, I bet I could run an amazing 10 miles because I feel so good. I know, isn't that probably crazy? Because I'd be find, trying to find food, like caveman. Yeah. That's totally true. That's very interesting. Yeah. It is interesting because that's kind of counterintuitive for most people. They get very tired when they get hungry. And yes. when you experience that for the first time, you're like, whoa, this is actually really interesting that I feel like, like you said, I always feel like I could go crush a workout. Right then, you're like, I need to go work out, not make food. (laughs) And that's why when I do work out, I always do it fasted. I feel so much better. People always tell me, wait, so you don't have any little snack before you exercise? No, and you don't need to. I just say no. So when I was at KetoCon in June, I got to hear Megan Ramos speak. And I don't know if you've seen, she's um, Uh partners with Dr. Jason Fung. And I loved learning more about the intermittent fasting, but she had this great analogy which I try to describe to everyone now when they say, what do you mean you don't eat until noon or one or two? That's how do you do that? And I said, okay, well, here's what we're doing as Americans. Pretend your body is a car. And she kind of took people through this and it made so much sense to me. And you've got three fourths of a tank of gas. She said, what we do as Americans is we drive five miles down the road and we stop and get more gas. Yeah. And then we might drive 10 more miles and we might stop and put in a gallon or two then we might drive 50 miles. Then we're going to totally fill up the tank. Five more miles, more gas. It's crazy. The amount of, of eating that happens in this country that is unnecessary when your body doesn't need it is completely bizarre to me. And until I started to really pay attention to my own eating habits and think about why am I actually eating right now? Is it because society tells me I need to eat at this time? Or, you know, you start asking yourself those questions and it's, it's life-changing, or at least it has been for me. Oh, and that, that's a great point. Why are you doing things? We're marketed to so often uh, in society. We're marketed to buy stuff, mm-hmm. to drive cars, you know, certain cars, yes. uh, to eat certain foods, and, and you're always pushed. So when you start paying attention to why, am I, why do I do this? Do I have to? Do I want to? Or am I being pushed to by outside sources like marketing? That's great because you start to realize why you do things. Now, I want to hit on something that I think is, is important because you live up north. And yes, you know, so, so winters are kind of harsh. Uh, yes. And that's the understatement (laughs) of the world. Yes. (laughs) Very harsh sometimes. There's multiple points to hit on that. And one is how do you stay motivated when, when it's dreary and miserable outside all the time? How do you, how do you get up and go to the gym? Because I know even for me, I've been in, in environments where it was snowing all the time and I would just wake up and go, man, I do not want to go out there. And, yep. and so it, it decreases your motivation. So what do you do to get around that? How do you work out? Where do you work out? That's a good thing. You yes. run. Are you, yes. not run, are you running outside? How, what are you doing? Yeah, so I completely agree with you that in the winter when it's dark and cold, it can be so hard to motivate in the morning, which is why I have two fixes to help me figure out how to make sure I do it. Because I really do need to work out in the morning. It's too tough once my day gets going. And there's a lot of research to show that you have the best – metabolic benefits if you exercise before you start your day. So I I don't do it perfectly every day, but for the most part, I'm always exercising in the morning. I do two things. One is because my strength training gym is by appointment only, 
I intentionally set those appointments at 5.30 or 6 in the morning so that I have to drive to that appointment. If I was to be a no-show, that trainer's there waiting for me, I would feel horribly guilty. And most importantly, they're also going to charge me for it. So it makes me get up. It makes me get up, which I, so I intentionally do that twice a week. So that that's two of the five workday mornings. And then I have another gym where I do classes Mm -hmm. where I'll meet people, but with the running, I have uh, a few girlfriends, guy friends will meet in the morning and make each other get up and commit to each other. So you have an accountability partner. There's, it is far more difficult for me to get up in the winter and get out there on my own. So I have accountability partners where we meet and run together. I live right in the city of Minneapolis. We have an amazing chain of lakes with running and biking paths around them. And I always say that whoever it is who works for the city, who's in the rec department used to be like a retired runner because they have those paths cleared after a snowstorm before our roads are cleared. It's awesome. So I have have no excuse. They're cleared before 6am after a snowstorm. So if I get out in the morning, I can do my run and everyone else is stuck in traffic and I've already got a great workout in and get to the office. So it's really nice. So you 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 invest in your health. That was the first great point you made is I invested in this. So I'm going to get all my money's worth for my investment. Yes. And then you make a commitment, not only to yourself, but you made a commitment to other people. Yep. Right. It makes it so much easier, you guys, to have that partner. And then I tell people, you know, there's a reason there's a saying, a body in motion wants to stay in motion and a body at rest wants to stay at rest. All you have to do is get out there and get going with the run or with the exercise. I promise once you're into it, your body actually wants to keep doing that. And then it gives you positive forward momentum and positive energy for the whole day. And it really will make a difference in your productivity, in your mood, in your attitude, all of that stuff. And because I've now done it for so many years, if I'm about to sleep in and hit the snooze button, which don't get me wrong, happens every once in a while, (laughs) I I know that that whole day, I'm just not going to be as on as I am on the mornings when I get my workout in. So just knowing that and having had that experience of choosing to sleep instead motivates me to get up and say, I actually want to feel the way that I feel when I've actually exercised. So that'll get me out of bed too. Yeah, that's a great point is uh, one thing that we didn't talk about. We've talked a lot about your workouts and, and, and getting out there and doing that. What about incorporating recovery and rest days? Cause that's something that, you know, we, we struggle with. I don't like rest days. I don't know about you. They're like the worst part of my week. <laughs> so true. That's so true. So I, <clears throat> I work out five to six days a week. It's typically six. I make sure I take a day off, but I found that I even have better results if I take two days off and that's really tough for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I will do it if I'm really in intense training and I've had really long and tough workouts, I will do it. Um, and I just try to make sure that on those days I do intentionally then sleep a little bit longer or I do intentionally then go to bed a little bit earlier. And I've done it where I'll do two rest days back to back and then I'll run that third day. And that run is unbelievably good. Mm -hmm. So I also try to pay attention and this, I could go on, on a tangent with this topic, but I finally in 2018 started meditating and I've been hearing how important meditation is for years. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who has time for that? (laughs) But I said, I I wrote it down on new year's Eve in 2017. And so I've really committed to doing it every day. I did it before we started this interview. And for me, just having that mindfulness and being more aware of my choices and being more aware of how I feel has also really substantially benefited me in terms Mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm aware of the fact that I've now been sore several days in a row. I probably need a rest day tomorrow. I don't plan, you know, a certain day of the week that has to be rest day. I do it more about where my body is at and how my body feels. And so because I'm doing the meditation and because I'm more mindful about my choices, um, that's made a difference too. Yeah. And that's a great point. We talk about doing, uh, you know, meditation. You talked about doing infrared sauna before. Yes. Um, you know, I look at uh, when I when I run, when we do a, a longer run, most of that run for me is meditation because mm. I, yes. I, don't listen, yeah. I don't listen to music. Uh, I don't try to have anything on my body. And, and for me, it feels like when I'm running, I'm kind of I'm kind of letting some problems come to the surface. 
I'm, mm-hmm. I'm ruminating on them. I'm thinking about them. And, you know, at the end of that run, and, and that's the things that we touched on. You feel great after a run, not only physically, but sometimes mentally, because you've overcome something that you've done something positive for the day. And maybe you've thought about uh, a conversation you've had with someone or a relationship problem or a yes. financial issue that you've mulled over a little bit. And sometimes those answers, even lift the weights. I, I, I said the same thing about lifting weights. When we go outside and lift weights, oftentimes that's a, that's a meditation time because yep. I am, I am lifting, but also I'm thinking, um, you know, I'm going over things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I like to be quiet when I lift. I'm not, I'm not talking a lot or making noises. Mm-hmm. I'm just out there kind of doing my thing. And because it makes me feel good physically and mentally, you can solve problems and a lot of people need to hear this is meditation is not always sitting down being quiet. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's great, but if you don't have time for it, don't feel bad about it. Yes. You know, just take that meditation into another uh, modality. Right. Yep. Another area of your day. For me, the, the running is, is very meditative. I always have my best ideas, it seems, mm-hmm. during that run. You know, yep. on running. Yes. It's really true. Because it is a time where you can have, um, you can work out a lot that's, can you can get stuck in the analysis mode or I should say at least I can and so running is a really good way to clear all that out that's very true right right and then your your form of meditation are are you using um anything like headspace or you have you what where have you gone in that kind of area of meditation yeah so I um I do two things in the morning I do the calm app I did download headspace I didn't like it as much as calm for me I just found the background music and the sounds of the voice more pleasing on calm. Mm-hmm. I've talked to other people who have said they like headspace more. So again, it's choose, choose what works for you. So I do that for 10 minutes in the morning. And then at night I take myself for about 10 minutes through a guided meditation where I learned this through a meditation coach I hired last year who took me through a guided meditation where it's, you know, sitting in a chair, hands up and then picturing and basically saying out loud that the light is coming down into your crown and then you take the light sort of through all of the limbs of your body. And it's just been a really good way to keep me focused on the Mm -hmm. moment. And so that's been useful for me. But the thing that I've told a lot of people is I also feel like meditation has dramatically changed my relationship with food because all of a sudden now, if I'm going to open the fridge or open the cupboard and I'm going to grab something, I'm so much more aware of what I'm doing. You know, I see a lot of mindless eating happening in this world. People are reaching for their hands in bags and eating things during a television show or something, and they've never stopped and paused and said, am I really hungry? Is this what my body is hungry for? And, sh- and, and if not, what the heck am I doing? So right. that, that, to me, has been a really huge benefit, too, um, because I don't do any more mindless eating at all. And that's been really, really useful. Oh yeah. She'll tell you, I was a mindless snacker. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> he was a right? monster. Oh my gosh. I had a whole, our, our cupboard in our previous house, we had a whole section that was just Steve's snacks area and it was anything yeah. snackable, uh, you know, a small yeah. chips, some, some peanut crackers. butter crackers, some, Oh, I loved vanilla wafers, <laughs> sure. Um, chips yeah. and salsa. I mean, snacking was an art form for me. Yeah. So he was snacking while I was getting his lunch ready. I was like, I'm about to put <laughs> in front of you you know that right and and the fact that i don't snack anymore if if i do have anything it'll be um a piece of beef jerky or uh, you know maybe some pork rinds and that is not very often and that's it that's the snack so uh getting away from all that other junk and literally it is junk and yeah um, you know that, that also saves money in the long run it does you know we're oh. talking about snacking which kind of brings us to a point the reason why we met you is because you are an ambassador for f-bomb and we I am. ross and kara yes and um you know when people start talking about snacking and and things like that they think well with keto what what can i eat am i just going to eat a piece of meat or a slab of butter, but there's some really great things out there that people who really care about our health are making like Ross and Kara. I think they're just awesome people. The F- I adore people. them. Yes. Oh my God. And that, those products are so fantastic because they really have a great ketogenic profile and they're super yeah. satiating and the packaging is easy. I mean, I take those on a lot of different, every time I travel, I have F-bomb packets with me. I bring one to work every day yeah. and they're just so easy to consume. I love them. Yeah, we're the same way. That that is our our travel go to. Like, yes. 
if I, if I'm on a long plane ride mm-hmm. or a car ride and I'm not going to have access to food or the food they're going to give me is just completely not on my uh, list of appropriate foods, then, you know, be able to, to have an F bomb and just keep going and not even worry about it. Yeah. 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 It's so while we're doing a more carnivore style diet, we still keep those. I mean, that's like our travel food. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is I've done this before. You can take an F-bomb packet and pour it over ground beef and there is nothing better. It's so good. (laughs) I do that a lot. I'll have it with the meat. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, and people will oftentimes ask the questions of what are we going to eat? Your, your foods just change a little. It's not like you're not going to eat. You just change what you do eat. And then what you do eat is appropriate. Like you said, it's appropriate for my body. I'm not randomly eating foods that don't have any nutrients. I'm eating nutrient dense food that are appropriate for my activity and make me feel good. Right. Exactly. And I always think about really before I'm about to eat, or if I sense that I'm getting hungry, I really make sure that I ask myself, what is your body craving? And nine times out of 10, the answer is, is some kind of ground beef. I I, I eat it all day long. Grass fed ground beef. I have almost every day, but every once in a while I'm saying, you know what? I really would rather have some wild salmon today. And so I'll have that instead of the ground beef. So I really try to pay attention to that and say, what is my body craving at the time so that I give my body what it needs. And that's something that we, we just find how disconnected that the general public has become to their, their hunger signals and the nutrients there. We don't look at nutrients. Everybody focuses on calories, 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 um, you know, eat less, move more. That's been the, the dogma for so long. But when you get hungry and your blood, especially once you regulate the blood sugar, hunger is a signal that nutrients are needed. You know, your body's asking for things to either make it have energy repair. You know, it's not that you just need a fuel source. You need nutrients to repair tissue, to build new cells. And so just understanding that as you get a hunger signal and being mindful like that, that's such good information for people because we just have become so disconnected. We get hungry and we're like, well, this is the closest thing. I'll eat it. You know, I'll just grab this and have it when it might not be what your body's asking for. And then that's why you don't fulfill that hunger signal. Yep. Because the nutrients weren't met. Yes. So I try to plan. So like later today I will make, I buy 92%, 7% grass fed ground beef and 85, 15. So I'll buy one packet of each and I'll cook those together. And I do that because, you know, because of my running, my bodybuilding, even though I get that calories really don't matter. I like to have a mix of the meats because the 92, seven has lower calorie than the 85, 15. So I mix them anyways. Yeah. And then I separate them out in five ounce servings for the week. And I'll do that with like a cup of kale or a cup of spinach, because that's kind of the primary vegetable I'll still do. I'll do some kind of green. And then when I get to work, I heat that up and I add a full avocado and sauerkraut or kimchi. That's been my new thing. I don't know if you guys are into all this gut health stuff, but I cannot get enough about reading all this gut health. I'm so into now adding sauerkraut and kimchi to every single thing that I eat. Because, you know, and I know this has been a few years that a lot of this has come out, but I've just started to research it more, how our uh-huh. guts is our second brain or really even our first brain. Yeah. And I was experiencing while I was doing a lot of the high fat MCT oil stuff, I was noticing that I thought either my gallbladder isn't processing or my bile production wasn't as good. And I right. talked to my functional doc about it and she said, well, let's do this other probiotic. And then I just started to do my own research and it really, I think what I was missing was more good bugs. Uh-huh. And it totally changed my system. It, I feel so good. And those kinds of foods, I tell everyone, if you want to have a natural antidepressant, start putting that kind of food in your diet, right? Yeah, because yes. your, your gut health, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's some toxins. If you have a bad gut bacteria, that there's a lot of times a bad, bad toxins that are put off by those gut bugs that yes. are 
you know, when things are fermenting too long down in that area. Yes. Those toxins actually will make you depressed. There's, there's a lot of research in that area. It can cause brain fog, depression. Um, It can even cause blood sugar dysregulation because people start craving a lot of carbs because those bugs want those carbs. Yes. Yes. you know, it's really interesting when you get in that. And I love sauerkraut. I would make my own. Same. And I love it. Yeah. Oh, sauerkraut and kimchi. Yeah, you're speaking my language. For yeah. when I do eat vegetables, that is what I go to. Fermented foods. Yeah. I love them. Now you just took the conversation a, a step further when you mentioned, you know, the microbiome and your gut. Because I like how you said it. Some people I've heard it referred to as a second brain, but I agree. I think it's yeah. the first brain. Totally agree. Yep. Because what happens in your brain happens in your gut first. Yep. So if you, if you're in a conversation, whether it's a work thing or a relationship thing or something, and you all of a sudden experience fear, you feel it in your gut and it's your brain, your brain, it's the brain gut connection. Oh no, something bad is about to happen. That that's because our brains and our guts are connected. I try to tell people that's real. That's a real crazy <laughs> oh, I know. but it's so true it's so true oh that's and such a good point because so many people they walk around with gut issues and they don't ever feel good they eat this was me for years you eat you feel bloated you don't understand why you think it's normal yes and when you start figuring out that you're not really supposed to notice digestion happening you eat and you shouldn't you, there shouldn't be a lot of noise and a lot of bloating going on and when you figure that out and you start eating those foods that make it just a seamless, a seamless event where you eat the food, you feel energetic, not tired. It's amazing. And it really is. I hope that for everyone, because I see so many people who the first thing they say, I eat, my stomach hurts so bad. And I'm like, well, that's not normal. You know, Correct. that shouldn't happen. So I think um, another thing that if we can touch on it real quick, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, if you don't mind, can we talk about your age for a moment? Oh, for our ladies. Of so course. here's the thing. I'm 40. I'm going to be 47 in a week. And, and, you know, as we get older, I think so many times as females, we just accept men too. But especially females, we accept that we're going to gain a little weight. We're going to not feel as energetic and mm-hmm. we can't put on muscle because we've gotten older. That's, that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the train of thought that most people are, are on. But you said you finished your marathon at 39 in 2015, yes. right? Yes. So, you know, if we do the math there, you're over 40. Correct. And so let's talk to the ladies for just a second about being over 40, being healthy, being able to put on muscle at that stage of life. Like if somebody wants to start down that road and they're 40 now, mm-hmm. what would you say is something they can start today to work towards that? Yeah. Okay. I love this topic and this question. So I'll try to be brief about it because I could talk about it for an hour. I love it. I have to have you back. (laughs) I know. I love this topic. So I'm 42. I have the lowest body fat that I've had and the highest amount of muscle in my life. I've been testing for almost 20 years. And I'm telling you, and I believe this, and I'll tell anyone who will listen to me, this whole notion that you get heavier and you lose more muscle as you get older is complete BS. Yeah. Yes. The reason that that happens is because people don't strength train. So I tell any, especially women who will listen to me, if there is one thing that you can do to change your life, I want you to strength train and I want you to focus on strength training. It is the anti-aging serum. I believe it ages me in reverse. Yeah. And, and as long as you continue to strength train and people have heard this, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's true for muscles. That's by the way, true for meditation. That's true for all sorts of things in life, but strength training is so important. It gets you more mobile. It gives you more energy. It gets you leaner. You have a higher metabolism. The benefits of strength training are so innumerable. It's the most important thing that I do for myself each week. There's no question. In fact, my strength training gym, they love when clients come in, and this is fascinating to me, they have clients who are in their 80s and 90s. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they said, we can get a person who comes in in her 80s and we can get her to the point where she's now driving again if she wasn't and totally living independently if she wasn't. That's a testament to the fact that you can start at any time. I don't care that you're 45 or 49 or 41 and you've never done it. It will change your life if you start, I promise you. There's no question in my mind. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. And you know, um, we're not too far apart in age, not, mm-hmm. you know, but we, we know that all, most women are in our age group, 40 and over, they go straight to cardio. Yes. Straight to the cardio machines. And I see so many people, you know, that are friends of mine, they want to start getting into shape. And the first thing someone tells them is you need to go do a lot of cardio. And I come in and go, no, you need to go lift the weights. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. And you know what the reason is nine times out of 10, it makes me gain weight. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's what they'll say. It makes me gain weight. Interesting. I'm like, you know, it does hold water for a couple mm-hmm. of days after you do strength train. You, your muscles will hold that water, but you got to stick with that because that don't look at the scale. That's that whole thing with the scale yes. and, and the cardio. I mean, the cardio, you might want to do that just if you like it, but the strength training, I am so in agreement with you there. I think every woman should strength train. I mean, my family, you know, there's osteoporosis back there in, in my history, but that's only because it was a high carb diet and no yeah. strength training. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I obviously, because I'm a runner, I love cardio and I do it because I like the sweat and I do it for all these reasons. But if you told me, okay, Kristen, you have one week and you only get to do two workouts and that's it. I would do two strength training workouts. That's what I would do. There's no question in my mind. You get actually a fair amount of cardiovascular benefit from strength training. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that, but you do. And what matters as we age is the amount of musculature that we have in our bodies for longevity. That's really important to keep you young and healthy. And so I can't emphasize it enough. I do hear a lot that women are sometimes intimidated by the gym or that that's a scary thing for them. And, And I guess the advice that I would give to anyone who feels that way is to say, okay, then maybe at least for the first few exercises, or first few times you go, maybe hire a trainer to help you so that you feel a little more comfortable in that setting and you know which equipment is where, or hire a trainer if that's something that financially is a priority to you. But start by testing your body fat, either an in-body, a DEXA scan, or a bod pod. Do not step on on the scale for a month. Strength train hard twice a week. And then do that same test, not a scale, but an in-body or a DEXA scan or a bod pod at the end of 30 days or 60 days or whatever it is. And don't step on the scale in between because it'll drive you batty. Yes. It will because, I mean, we fluctuate so much on yes. the scale. But, you know, because I, 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 even with clients, will have the, you know, I don't know what's going on. I've gained five pounds, but I've gone down three sizes and they're upset, you mm-hmm. know, and it's that that scale thing. I just try to get people to get rid of that. Yeah. I tell everyone, I'm like, I weigh 130 pounds. I'm five, five. Maybe some people would weigh 115 pounds at my height, but I would much rather have the amount of muscle that I do, which weighs more than fat than than be what I refer to as skinny fat. I mean, I, the muscle makes me, you know, most emotionally, mentally, and physically strong. All of those things. There's no question. And there, you know, there's so many things that we, we just don't have time for today. We'll probably have to have you back yes. about this because the more muscle you have, the more glycogen stores you have. So then when you do go to do those runs, that's why you can go longer. And then you tap into fat. There's just so much here. There is, there is. You know, we could go on for hours, but mm-hmm. we want to be respectful of your time. Um, can you maybe share with our listeners before we go how they can find you if you're training people online, how they can get in contact with you? Because some people are going to be like, I don't know where to start. Maybe I want Kristen to train me. Do you do yes. that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not currently, I'm not, but I'm developing a coaching program so that I can do that so that people can download and sign up so that I can train them in a virtual way because I am getting a lot of requests for it and I'm happy to do that. So that stuff will be available. I'll announce it when it's available, but probably the best way to follow me is I'm on Instagram 
at MN Golden Girl, MN like Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And then that's also my email, mngoldengirl at gmail.com. My website right now is under construction, but I'm working on all of those things. So yes. <laughs> with, the, with the limited amount of time that you have. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But I do work on it in my free time. I, I do have some, thankfully. Well, nobody has any excuses after hearing this. Lifting weights, <laughs> running, I'm a trial lawyer. Um, I broke my leg in I 10 places. Leg in 10 places. <laughs> there, are, there are no excuses out there. So we've so enjoyed talking to you. We love what you do. And uh, we think you're an inspiration to people out there who want to live a healthy life. And I think someone needs to make Kristen a shirt with hashtag mythical unicorn. Yes, fitness. <laughs> absolutely. That should, that should be the name of your website, mythical unicorn fitness. I love it. I love it. Good. I'll go buy that domain name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kristen. Well, we we have we've just thoroughly enjoyed this. You've given people a lot of information and a lot of inspiration, which is really important. And um, we hope to be able to have you on again, though. I'd love to. Thank you both so much. I really yeah. enjoyed this interview. This was great. We have to. And you have a great day. And to all of our listeners, go eat fat and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Tasco Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.